wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys? And welcome back to WrestleRant Radio for September 12, 2019. I am Graham G. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. And a ton on tap, as always, to talk about here on today's show between reviewing Raw and SmackDown, which emanated from the world's most famous arena on Monday and Tuesday, respectively. And Raw, I was in attendance for on Monday. Going to talk all about that experience and meeting New Day members Kofi Kingston, the WWE Champion, and Big E and Mandy Rose before the big Raw on Monday. Fun to talk about that and that whole experience and how that came about. We're going to be reviewing Raw and SmackDown and giving my preview picks and predictions for Sunday's Clash of Champions pay-per-view and maybe some thoughts in 205 Live as well because it was a bit of a newsworthy show on Tuesday night. So um, if anything else comes up that I could talk about, I will, but uh, we're probably just going to stick to Raw and SmackDown and Clash of Champions this coming Sunday, which has a stacked card. I probably will not be able to watch live. I usually do catch the pay-per-views live, at least the last number of them I have been able to. Uh, on Sunday, Clash of Champions, I think I'll be at the Big E, actually. If you're familiar with the uh, with the Big E Fair in Massachusetts, uh, it's one of the biggest festivals here in the Northeast every single September. I don't think I've ever been before, but I will be there on Sunday, Skillet, which has performed many WWE theme songs or WWE uh, pay-per-view theme songs over the years, they will be performing on Sunday in a mini concert at the festival. And I've never seen them live. They've been one of my favorite bands now for, I want to say close to a decade, since they first performed for WWE Monster, the 2009 Hell in a Cell theme song. Uh, And I've never seen them live. They never really tour over here in the Northeast. They're going to be here, I think actually today, as I record this on Thursday, in Stamford doing a concert, but it's just too far for me, and uh, the tickets were crazy expensive. The one on Sunday at the Big E, which is about an hour away, Stanford's about an hour and 15 minutes away from where I live, so it's actually closer, and it will be cheaper because you just get, it's like a free, it's like a free concert with admission to the fair, so you pay to get into the fair, and then the concert's free, so it's it's a pretty cool deal, but it will be there on Sunday, we'll not be watching the pay-per-view live, I think Alexis and I are currently planning on watching the show on Monday afternoon, after she gets out of class, so I'm going to stay away from spoilers, stay off of social media, turn off my phone even, to ensure that no one spoils that show for me, because it should be a good show, I've been really anticipating this event uh, over the last couple weeks with the build being done on Raw and on SmackDown. So I'm looking forward to the show. We'll talk all about that at the end of today's episode. But before we go any further with today's episode of WrestleRant Radio, you can check me out on the socials, on Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook at facebook.com, backslash uh, graham.gsm.matthews, and find me on YouTube as well at youtube.com. Uh, backslash C backslash Graham Giesa Matthews. You can check out new episodes of Wrestle Rant Radio every single Thursday, not only on nextairwrestling.net, but also on all of your favorite podcast platforms, including iTunes, um, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, 
Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean. We're all over the place, baby. We are. It is now easier than ever to check out WrestleRant Radio. So what are you waiting for? Rate the show, review the show, subscribe today, and get every new episode on Thursdays and every archived episode dating back to the show's debut almost exactly six years ago. Um, I don't think we'll be having an episode go up on the six-year anniversary of the show because the show, when I first started doing WrestleRant Radio, I did it on Tuesdays. So although 2019 has the same calendar year as 2013, I'll be doing the show on Thursday this year and not on Tuesday. Unless we do a special show, we'll say. Uh, but it'll probably be going up the same week as WrestleRant Radio, the six-year anniversary, not the exact anniversary. But nonetheless, um, before we go any further as well, I do want to mention this real quick because I was asked about this on hashtag AskGSM last week by John Ritland. He has awesome content on his YouTube channel, Real Honesty with John Ritland. Um, subscribe today if you haven't already. But he asked me on last week's hashtag if I had any anticipations, expectations for It Chapter 2. Now, It Chapter 1 went up two years ago. It was released, I think the same weekend, two years ago in September of 2017. Love that movie. I have yet to see the original. I want to watch it at some point. I heard it's hilariously bad. I know the book is just iconic. It's an iconic read. I've obviously never read the book. I know of it. Uh, I saw clips from the original movie from, I think, 1990, I want to say, it went up. I think it went up in 1990. I, I say went up I, like it's a WWE network show or something, but it was uh, released in 1990. And then the latest remake went up and again, I did it again, uh, it was released in 2017. I love the first movie. The second movie, I would argue, may be even better. Now, I know John said in the review, in his review in the movie, that he thought it wasn't as scary as the first one. I would disagree. I thought there were better jump scares in this movie than there were in the first movie, and I love the first movie. I thought this was a great film, uh, just about as long as It Chapter 1. Clocks in at around 2 hours and 45 minutes, so it's a really long movie, but unlike Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I thought was a really good movie, don't get me wrong. I thought it was a good film after... Kind of, I mean, initially I was really bored and um, confused, and I didn't really appreciate it as much. Not real. I mean, I know of the Manson murders, but long story short, I really wasn't as informed about the story behind that movie, the latest Tarantino film, as I was at Chapter Two. So I was kind of bored for most of that movie. I thought the two hours and forty-five minutes just flew by when I saw It Chapter Two last Friday on its release night. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm not going to spoil anything. If you have yet to see the first one, obviously do that before seeing the second one. Um, But they brought back all the kids. They were a ton of flashbacks. The kids from the first movie were in this one more than I thought they would be. But that's not a bad thing at all. I thought the adult actors who played the kids, um, you know, who reprised the roles of the kids from the first movie did a great job. Bill Hader um, and a few others. I forgot their names, but a lot of other, you know, well-known actors. The guy from... What was that movie? Glass, and then there was um, Split. I forgot his name. I know he's in the X-Men movies, too. Um, he's the main bad guy in those movies. I forgot. McAvery? McAvory or something like that. Um, he did a great job in this movie. But, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the entire movie. I thought it was great. Much scarier, I thought. Maybe not by a wide margin, but significantly scarier, I would say, than the first movie, at least for me. A lot of jump scares, really good story, never got bored, great acting, some really cool scenes too. A bit more, I don't want to say hocus pocus, not in the movie, but like more, you know, not shenanigans, I'm not talking about like a WWE match here, but like 
there were more over-the-top antics in this movie than there were in the first movie. Didn't really feel as realistic. That was one of Alexis's knocks against the movie, was that it didn't really feel as realistic as the first one, but it wasn't supposed to be. If you've ever read the book, and I haven't, but knowing the story behind the book, um, I was well aware that this one was going to be a bit more, you know, uh, have a bit more hocus-pocus and shit like that than what we saw in the first movie. But I thought it was great. Definitely check it out when you get a chance. It Chapter 2 in theaters now. Um, Speaking of which, so that was Friday. Then on Sunday, real quick, I did attend the North Haven Fair here in Connecticut. have not been in a very long time, probably not since 2012, since I first left for college in 2013. I was away when it happened. Then I went to the 2012 North Haven Fair. Um, I grew up in North Haven, so that's why I would always go. But Northeast Wrestling, one of the premier independent wrestling promotions here in the Northeast. We talked to the founder, Michael Lombardi, a couple months ago here on the show and a few others involved in the promotion. Um, They were running a show there a few years ago. I have not been able to go in the last couple years, but I did go um, in 2011, 2012. Got to go back this year. Had a great time. Um, Good main event of Christian Casanova versus... Um, JT Dunn, two tremendous talents who I promise you will be in WWE at some point. I am shocked that WWE has not already snatched these guys up for their NXT or 205 Live brands. They are that good. Um, They are really, really talented. So keep an eye on those guys. If you're not already familiar with them, you should be. I think they wrestle largely here in the Northeast, but I wouldn't be surprised that they... uh, kind of uh, went abroad at some point in other parts of the country, but Christian Casanova and JT Dunn, two top-tier talents, who I promise you, you'll go back and listen to this clip here on the show at some point years down the road and say, hey, he was right. They will end up in WWE at some point. Hopefully even AEW, but if not AEW, then uh, WWE would be a great landing spot for them as well because they are just, again, fantastic. But at any rate, I was there on Sunday, Then on Monday, Alexis and I went to Monday Night Raw in New York City. Now, we've been planning to go to that show for quite a while now, Um, probably as far back as when it was announced in July. I remember hearing many, many months ago, maybe six months ago in March, that WWE was planning on going to MSG for Raw and SmackDown for the first time in 10 years. I remember watching that last Raw um, in MSG 10 years ago. I was watching it live, not there, obviously, but... I watched it from home. It was actually two weeks removed from when I went to my first WWE show in Providence, Providence, Rhode Island, and I think it might have been the week before or two weeks earlier that I went to that show, but anyway, um, on that Raw, they had like, you know, Kofi Kingston take the fight to Randy Orton through the commentary table, the boom drop. They had that awesome main event of John Cena and The Undertaker versus DX and Jericho. I remember because I just watched it, you know, back and full for the first time since then, the other day on the network. But um, it was really cool to be back in MSG for Monday Night Raw. I've been to MSG before. I was there earlier this year for the G1 Supercard show for Ring of Honor and New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I was there for the first time. One of, you know, Going to a WWE show at the Garden was always one of my biggest bucket list items. And they go there every, they go there every year for like the Christmas shows, the holiday tour, and I could never make it until 2016 when I went with Jason for a SmackDown Live house show. Or I think it was a SmackDown Live house show. I know John Cena was in the main event with Dean Ambrose and AJ Styles in a really good triple threat. 
and that was a cool show. There's nothing quite like being in the garden. Just to say you've been there, been to a WWE show there, or really any wrestling show, is quite the treat, quite the privilege, quite the honor. So, no pun intended with being the uh, being at the Ring of Honor show earlier this year at MSG with G1 Supercard, but uh, it was great. So, we were planning on going as far back as, like, July. You know, even March when I heard they were going there, but definitely in July when they announced that tickets were on sale. I did not buy tickets initially just because I forgot I was in London, first of all. And then when I saw they were on sale, um, they were crazy expensive, as you could probably imagine. The tickets went down. The price of the tickets went down um, as soon as they did not start selling all too well, and they went down significantly in the last couple of months. So I waited until Monday, Monday afternoon, to buy my tickets for Raw. Um, I waited really, really late. But um, I'm glad I did wait because if I bought them on the spot, like I usually do, they would have been 10 times more expensive. So not only did we do that on Monday, like I said earlier, we got to go to City Field, the home of the Mets, the New York Mets on Monday afternoon. Now we had to really cut this thing close. This was a real close call because Alexis had class on Monday in the afternoon. I picked her up. We went to the train station, made it to Grand Central. We made a beeline from there to City Field, which is where they had a meet and greet with Kofi Kingston, Big E, and Mandy Rose. Now, none of those three, and even Mandy Rose, I mean, it wasn't supposed to be Mandy Rose. It was supposed to be Bailey, but I think they switched her out because she had to compete on Raw on Monday. Mandy, Big E, and Kofi were not on Raw on Monday night, so I think they stayed for the game and did not have to rush to the WWE taping on Monday night. But um, they're not my favorite wrestlers by any means, but um, a big reason why I wanted to go, I mean, Bailey is, but... A big reason why I really wanted to go was to have my Intercontinental Championship replica title signed by none other than Kofi Kingston and Big E. Now, obviously, they are two former IC champions. Kofi Kingston has held the championship no less than you know four or five times. Big E held the belt once back in 2014. Um, and I knew this was maybe not my only shot of ever getting them to sign the championship, but if I waited until access one of these days, they'd be 10 times more expensive. So um, I had to jump on the opportunity I was able to do it. We got to City Field at like maybe 5.45, 6 o'clock. And the meet and greet was, it said it would be going from 5.30 to 6.30. And we got there and I didn't want to buy my tickets. I didn't want to buy my tickets for the meet and greet, which also included a seat at the game, but obviously we were going to Raw, so I didn't want to do that. Um, I didn't want to purchase them in advance and the slight chance where I got to the arena, they weren't selling them anymore and I couldn't make it, blah, blah, blah. So um, I waited until we were right outside City Field to purchase my tickets for the meet and greet. And it took a little longer and I had to go through this whole process. I had to go into the stadium. I went to the box office. They weren't selling them there. I had to buy them online. It was a whole confusing mess. It got to the point where I'm have where I have my Intercontinental Championship belt in my hands, looking like a doofus, with my Stone Cold Steve Austin shirt on, you know, on my phone, trying to purchase these tickets, trying to figure out from people who work there where to go, what to do, whatever. And then finally, I get it all figured out. It's clo- we're closing in on 6:30 here, people, so we're cutting it really, really close. I just got one ticket because to pay for a second one for Alexis would have been unnecessary money. So she was willing to wait outside the arena. It was just me. I flew in solo. Uh, She waited for me outside, but I got the ticket, made a beeline towards this suite on the fourth floor of the stadium, which I've been here before for a wrestling show. I'd been to City Field for a Mets game about two years ago. So I've been here before. It's a a very nice stadium. Um, I asked people where to go, what to do, blah, blah, blah. 
got in the elevator, got upstairs, um, saw these two people just standing there. And I asked them, like, where do I go for the meet and greet? Am I late? I mean, it was, you know, well too late by that point. But it did say in the email or in the information for this meet and greet that it would be going from 5.30 to 6.30. And it was like 6.20 by this point. So again, I was cutting it really close. But technically, I was still there in time with my belt in hand. I asked these two ladies. They were like, oh, weren't you supposed to be here an hour ago when we first sent in the people? And I said, yeah, but I'm running late. Is there any chance I could still meet them? Blah, blah, blah. Before they could even finish their sentence, in the corner of my eye, in the, in the corner of my left eye, I see the New Day and Mandy Rose, or specifically just Kofi and Biggie, and Mandy Rose walking down the hallway um, with this group surrounding them, like their PR team, whatever. And I'm like, holy shit, they're right there. So I asked them if I could just walk right up to them. I mean, they, they don't really care. Um, the, these two women that I'm talking to, I asked them, can I just walk right up? And, you know, I paid for it, blah, blah, blah. I wasn't being an asshole, but I asked, hey, can I just go meet them now? Is that okay? They didn't really seem to mind. Kofi, before I even said anything to him, said, hey, nice shirt, because I was wearing my Stone Cold Steve Austin shirt for that night's Raw. And then I, I don't even really remember word for word what I said, but in so many words, it was like, hey, do you mind if I get a picture with you guys that came here for the meet and greet? I'm sorry I'm late, blah, 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 if you don't mind. And they were really nice. They were very accommodating. I got a picture with Kofi, Biggie, and Mandy. It's on my Twitter now. It was really fucking cool. Um, I could not believe it that I just barely ran into these guys as they were making their way towards the elevator. And I got a picture with them. And then I annoyingly asked Kofi and Biggie to sign my IC title, asked them if it was possible, if it was okay. And I took out the championship, and they were like, holy shit, look at all these signatures. Like, that's really cool. And, and Kofi's like, wow, you got Santino. You got Pat Patterson, Biggie said. And Kofi was like, wow, you got Kevin Nash. You got this guy. You got that guy. I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to get all the former IC champions, including you guys. That's why I'm here. And I really went out of my way to make this thing happen, but I'm really glad I did because I got a great picture out of it. And two awesome signatures from Kofi Kingston and Big E. So I kind of rode down in the elevator with them. They were really, really nice. They didn't have to do that. I met Mandy Rose before at WrestleMania Access, so I wasn't really all too concerned with her. If it was Bailey, different story. But anyway, um, it was really cool and awesome experience, albeit short-lived. But I got really fucking lucky with that one-off encounter with Kofi, Biggie, and Mandy. Because if I waited any longer or had gone any sooner, it probably would not have happened. I just barely ran into them in the hallway at City Field. So it was really cool. And now we have 32 former Intercontinental Champions um, having signed that replica IC title, which is incredible. We got a ton this year alone uh, between Access, meeting Moxley, Bret Hart, CM Punk, and Alkofi and Big E. We've had a ton of signatures added to that championship in 2019 alone. Probably half of the signatures came this year alone. So I'm really happy we were able to do that, make that happen. And now we have Kofi and Big E on the replica IC championship. So for those wondering, um, who else do we have left to sign it? All that other stuff. Um, I made a document. It's on my laptop. I've, you know, I've uh, tweeted it out before, showing who else I need to have sign it. You know, people like Stone Cold, Triple H, and Rock will obviously be the hardest to meet. Uh, Don Morocco's on there. I don't know what he's doing these days, and people like that. But um, you know, still, it's really cool. I think we have 36 former IC champions to go. So almost halfway through, we're almost halfway through the former IC champions to have signed this thing. A lot of whom are still with WWE. So a lot of which are going to have to be completed at like an access or something like that. But um, yeah, we made it happen. It was fucking awesome. It was really cool. 
And uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to seeing who else we can have sign it in the years to come. My goal, because I know we recently celebrated 40 years of the Intercontinental Championship, um, I think about a week ago on September 1st, um, and WWE spent the entire week on their website um, talking about it and celebrating the anniversary, that whole thing, which was cool. But my new goal is to have every former IC champion sign. It was a lifelong goal, but I thought it would be even cooler to have all remaining 36 champions sign it. And even more, obviously, because more new champions will be crowned in the years to come. Like Nakamura a few months ago, people like that. Um, I'm looking to have all former champions sign it in the next 10 years before the IC title celebrates 50 years. So it's going to be close to impossible to get people like Stone Cold, Rock, you know, um, Triple H, people like that. But, hey, I got Pat Patterson. I never thought I would get him, and I did. So anything is possible. Anything can happen, which is really fucking cool. But anyway, um, that was my experience meeting Big E, Kofi, and Manny Rose on Monday. That went a little longer than I anticipated, but just in terms of telling the story. But I thought it would be a cool story to share. But then we got to Raw at Madison Square Garden just in time for the main event taping. So if you don't want any main event spoilers, which I'm sure is very few of you that still watch the show, any suckers like me, uh, then skip ahead by like 30 seconds. But they did tape Dana Brooke and Sarah Logan versus the Iconics for the show. The Iconics won. Um, I don't know if this was taped for the show, but they did tape R-Truth losing his 24-7 title to... Ernest Cantor. I mean, they still had the main event logo on the, um, you know, on the Titantron on the Ring Apron when this was filmed. So I don't know if it's airing on main event or not. I know it did go up on their YouTube channel, the WWE YouTube channel, on Monday night before Raw um, or during Raw, whatever. So I'm not sure if this is airing on the main event, but either way, it was a cool little segment. I'm barely familiar with. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name, Ernest Cantor, Ernest, something along those lines. And the only real reason I know who he is is because he's appeared on a lot of WWE shows as a talking head before because he is a WWE fan, so I'm sure he was, you know, fucking living on Monday night when this happened, when he became the 24-7 champion before promptly losing the title to R-Truth. He did take off his sweatshirt to reveal that he was wearing a Boston Celtics jersey. So I guess he used to play for the, um, the Knicks, the basketball team, and then he got drafted or moved to the Celtics in Boston. Uh, which is why he was so hated here. Which was it was a great heel moment, and the crowd ate it up. It was a really cool moment, and then our truth quickly reclaimed the twenty four seven title. So, um, yeah, I think he was actually one point dating Dana Brooke. I don't know if that's still a thing. I thought they were dating at one point. I don't know if they still are, or they broke it off, or they were never dating to begin with. But I thought I heard that was a rumor at one point, you know, about a year or so ago. But anyway, Ross starts. The crowd loses their fucking minds. When Stone Cold Steve Austin makes his appearance, uh, you know, appears on the show, makes his entrance. When that glass shatters, you know shit is about to go down. Um, I've been in attendance for a Stone Cold pop before at Raw 25 about a year and a half ago. The place came unglued then, and they came unglued here. It was a hell of a reaction, and they just don't make stars like that anymore. They just don't. It was really funny to hear Stone Cold's pop compared to Rollins's and, and Strowman's just because, yeah, they're stars to a certain degree, but not like Stone Cold Steve Austin. I mean, I'm sure we might get another star like that at some point, but not anytime soon. I will tell you firsthand that there is no one in WWE, NXT, anywhere under contract to this company, or really anywhere in wrestling right now, that gets the reaction that Stone Cold Steve Austin does, with the exception of maybe The Rock. 
Um, the guy is a bona fide star, and I got goosebumps. I freaked out when I heard it. The video of me freaking out is up on my YouTube channel. I took a video of it happening on Monday night, and it's up on the channel now at youtube.com backslash C backslash Graham G.S. Matthews, cheap plug. So he comes out to moderate the contract signing for the Universal Championship with Braun Strowman and Seth Rollins. And the segment was fine um, early on. I thought everyone played the roles well. AJ Styles was the ultimate asshole here, and he said the word asshole, as did Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I thought it would get bleep, but I guess it did not, according to people on Twitter, which is really cool. I mean, obviously, if you go back and watch the clip on their YouTube channel, it has since been bleeped out. But in the moment, I don't believe it was. But the OC were great here. Rollins, Strowman, and especially Stone Cold Steve Austin were fucking great. Um, AJ Styles ate a stunner in Madison Square Garden, courtesy of Stone Cold Steve Austin. A sentence I never thought I would say three, four, five, ten years ago, but here we are. Um, stranger things have happened, like I said before, and I'm not talking about the television show. But, uh, yeah, I thought that was an amazing way to kick off the show, and people were like, hell, just give me Stone Cold Steve Austin for three straight hours, and I would not complain. And I completely agree. The guy's an amazing star, and he's a spectacle to see in person. You have not lived until you have seen Stone Cold Steve Austin live and in living color. I said that on Twitter a while ago, but seeing Stone Cold live is one of those things that you just cannot replicate. The guy is just a fucking star. And you got to pick your spots because Stone Cold does not appear often nowadays. I know he was at Raw Reunion a few months ago. Uh, but beyond that, he's not on Raw all that often making live appearances. So you got to pick your spots. And if you are fortunate enough to see him in person, then you can officially say you have... Uh, Fulfilled your life as a WWE fan. You're, you have fulfilled your fandom as a WWE guy just because uh, there is nothing quite like it. So that was a great way to kick off the show. We then had AJ Styles take on Cedric Alexander um, in a match that was advertised a few weeks ago, on, or a few days ago rather, on WWE.com. Good match while it lasted. Alexander did win by disqualification following interference from the OC, so obviously saving it for Sunday at the pay-per-view. And I'm really looking forward to that match. I, I mean, I'll talk more about this in my Clash of Champions predictions. Um, I don't know if Alexander has a good shot of emerging out, you know, emerging victorious as the new United States champion. But they will be in his hometown. And again, stranger things have happened. So anything is possible. But I am looking forward to the match. Win, lose, or draw for Alexander. He should have a great showing on Sunday. He's been killing it recently um, against the likes of Baron Corbin. Cesaro, Sami Zayn, he's been doing really well for himself, Drew McIntyre, and I'm sure that match with AJ will be probably the best that he's had yet on uh, on Monday Night Raw since joining the Raw roster a few months ago. But a good match there with the Viking Raiders making the save for Cedric, was not expecting that, who are apparently full-on babyfaces in WWE, which is cool to see. After spending the last couple months as heels and they weren't getting over, turning them face is probably their best bet. But um, that set up the Knights' 10-man tag team match with Cedric, the Viking Raiders, Rollins, and Strowman battling the OC, and uh, Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler, which we'll talk more about a little later on, or Robert Roode, rather. I still call him Bobby Roode. I'm just, I'm in that habit. I'm in that, it's a force of habit. We had a women's tag team match between the Raw women's champion Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair, beating the SmackDown Women's Champion Bailey and Sasha Banks. Great stuff here. The crowd ate this up. This was a great, great match. They never once got restless. These women got a ton of time to work with. The crowd was into everything they did. Um, it was a great way to, fur to further two feuds in one match with uh, Becky, and, uh, Becky and Banks and then Bailey and Charlotte. So I thought this was a uh, really, really fun match, and everyone played their roles tremendously well. 
In the end, it was Becky and Charlotte beating Bailey and Sasha to pick up the victory. It was Charlotte pinning Bailey for the win. And um, yeah, we'll see how the matches transpire on Sunday and if new women's champions will be crowned. I guess only time will tell. Um, at any rate, up next, we had Rey Mysterio versus Grand Metallic in a fantastic match. Um, Grand Metallic, it is very rare that we see him get showcased in singles competition, let alone on Raw. We do sometimes see it on 205 Live. He's had really good matches with Buddy Murphy and a few other people. But he had a great match here with uh, Rey Mysterio. And uh, they went out there and did a great job. I thought it would be a standard squash match with Rey Mysterio winning within a matter of minutes, but we did not get that. They got a full-on, you know, competitive contest here. Rey Mysterio going over as he should have, but Grand Metallic looking really good in defeat. It was just a really fun match, and hopefully we can see more of Metallic on Raw in the future. I wouldn't say, you know, push the guy. Like, his English is not great, so, you know, he, he would need a mouthpiece before he can really be pushing WWE. I think that's really what's holding him back. That and the fact that Vince just doesn't typically push luchadors. I mean, obviously, Rey Mysterio being the exception, but they botched Kalisto's push a couple years ago, and, you know, he hasn't really been the same since. Um, he has had success, though, as a former United States champion, two-time U.S. champion, former, you know, uh, tag team champion in NXT. He's a former Cruiserweight champion. So he's had success in WWE. Not a lot, but he, he has been successful. Grand Metallic, though, I would love to see more matches between him and Rey Mysterio. They worked... Really, really well together here. And it was a great opportunity for him to showcase his skills. Um, speaking of which, we had the same exact thing in the following match between Baron Corbin, Samoa Joe, and Rey Mysterio. Or rather, Ricochet wrote Rey Mysterio in my review here for some reason. I don't know why. Um, it was a triple threat to determine who was advancing to the finals of the King of the Ring tournament. I figured from the moment this match was announced that we would be getting Corbin in the finals. I'm glad they just didn't give him a bye. I mean, it would make more sense to give the guy a bye after Joe and Ricochet ended in a draw last Monday on Raw. But we got a great match out of this, so I can't complain. Uh, Corbin did go over after Ricochet hit the 640 on, I think it's the 640, I think that's what he calls it, the 640 on Joe. And then Corbin comes in, throws out Ricochet, pins Joe for the win. Uh, really good match here, and Corbin continues to do really well in the King of the Ring tournament. He had a great match in the first round of The Miz. A really good match last week with Cedric Alexander. And another really good match this week with Samoa Joe and Ricochet. So, for all the complaints about, oh, he's not a good wrestler, blah, blah, blah. He's been having some really good showings in the last couple weeks. Now, that's not to say I want to see him as the 2019 King of the Ring winner. But um, still, I think he works better with smaller competitors. Miz isn't small, but, you know, he's not as big as Corbin. Uh, we had, you know, Cedric Alexander, who's also on the smaller side, and Ricochet here as well. I think he really thrives against people that are smaller than him. And I mean, you know, Rollins is small too, but he's kind of more on the same playing field as Corbin. And they had their series of matches, and it really wasn't all that good. They were just kind of dull, some really dull matches over the summer over the Universal Championship. Corbin, I think, is great at this mid-card level, where he can win some matches, win more than he loses, wins more than he loses. Um but not be pushed all the way. Not to say I would be opposed, uh, you know, opposed uh, or, or be against the idea of Corbin eventually re-entering the main event scene down the road, but for now, I think he's perfect right where he's at on the card. Um, and next week, it will be Corbin and the winner of the semifinal match on SmackDown, which I'll get to in my SmackDown review momentarily. It's happening on Raw and not at Clash of Champions, interestingly enough, which is probably the better bet, um, the smarter move just because we already have like 11 or 12 matches on tap for Clash of Champions on Sunday. So to add another match would be just be overkill. It's probably 11 matches, not including 
you know, and, and we're going to have a kickoff match. It'll likely be the Cruiserweight Championship. Um, so moving this to Raw was probably for the best. And it'll be Corbin versus the winner of the SmackDown side on Monday night. And I'll talk more about that in my SmackDown review momentarily, like I said. We also had on Raw Natalia versus Lacey Evans and a rematch from last week's show. The match was fine for what it was. Really nothing to write home about. Natalia did go over decisively. Got her win back over Lacey. Nothing to see here. The crowd did break out at one point in like CM Punk chants, and it was like, okay. It's not that bad. It was filler, but we don't need to start chanting for CM Punk. I love the guy. Just met the guy. Great experience. There should be no reason to start chanting CM Punk's name in 2019. It's been five years, people. Get over it. Uh, speaking of annoying crowd chants, we had the wave during the main event, the uh, 10-man tag team main event, which was really obnoxious. Thankfully, it died down quickly because they got the wrestlers or they got the fans, uh, the wrestlers did back into the action. So it was, uh, I thought, a really good match. I enjoyed it for what it was. Everyone got to shine at one point or another. In the end, Cedric pinned AJ to pick up the win for his team, obviously earning himself a shot at the United States Championship in the process. And I said earlier that Stone Cold Steve Austin delivering a stunner to AJ Styles in Madison Square Garden is a sentence I never thought I would say, um, you know, years ago, uh, or even two, three years ago when AJ first arrived in WWE. Uh, another sentence I never thought I would say in 2019 is Cedric Alexander pinning AJ Styles in the main event of Raw in Madison Square Garden before sharing a beer bash with Stone Cold Steve Austin. How fucking cool is that? That has got to be the highlight of Cedric Alexander's life of his entire career. Maybe short of, you know, having his kid and marrying his wife. Probably his greatest moment in all of his entire career, and that includes NXT, 205 Live, Ring of Honor, WWE. Just a really cool fucking moment. And you could tell, too, that he was so happy to have experienced that based off the interview that he did with uh, .com Kathy Kelly after Raw. It's up on their YouTube channel. He looked like a kid in a candy store after that show was over, after, you know, drinking a beer with Stone Cold and pinning AJ and MSG in the main event. That's pretty fucking cool. Um, but yeah, good match. Enjoyed the show. And I thought it was a great way to close that out. And after the show, they had Stone Cold Steve Austin not only do the beer bash with the baby faces, but also deliver another stunner to AJ Styles before celebrating and drinking a beer with Salvacano, uh, one-fourth of the Impractical Jokers, who I think attends a lot of these WWE shows in MSG, which that was cool. So, uh, yeah, great stuff here. I thought it was a good show. One of the better Raws I've been to in a long-ass time. Much better than the post-WrestleMania Raw, I'll tell you that much. Um, I don't know what of the Raws I've been to in the last couple years, except for that one. I know I was at that one in 2018. I'm sure I went to a Raw at some point. Um, I just can't really remember any off the top of my head. Um, oh yeah, I was at the draft show. That was a good show too. This might have been even better. A lot of cool moments, a lot of great matches, and some very good build, a lot of effective build for Sunday's Clash of Champions pay-per-view that, like I said earlier, I am very much looking forward to. So... Yeah, overall, great experience at Raw. I'm glad we went to Raw, not SmackDown. At one point, SmackDown was on the table. Not that we were going to go to both, but um, Alexis has class on Mondays and Wednesdays. So we went to SmackDown on Tuesday. We didn't get back on Monday until like, God, 3 a.m., back to our own homes and here in Connecticut. So, uh, you know, she had to get up at like 7 or 8 to go to class on Wednesday and Monday or go to class, you know, yesterday, whatever. So it was probably for the better that we went to Raw on Monday because she didn't have anywhere to be on Tuesday. So I thought that worked out really, really well. And um, yeah, it ended up being a much better show than SmackDown, which was all right. It wasn't a bad show by any means, but it was 
really mediocre, I think might be the right word to use. Uh, the Undertaker did appear on SmackDown, really nothing out of the ordinary. I know a lot of people got my hopes up for an appearance from Bray Wyatt, who did appear in a Firefly Funhouse video on Monday. Great episode of the Firefly Funhouse, by the way. Did not appear in person. He did appear on SmackDown, just not during the show. A lot of people were hoping, oh, he's going to interrupt The Undertaker and lay him out and send a message and become the new phenom, blah, blah, blah. We did not get that. We got your typical Undertaker talking, you know, rambling on for a few minutes before Sami Zayn, the pest heel, interrupted and ate a choke slam for his troubles at the beginning of SmackDown. And that was it. Bray Wyatt did appear on the show, just not during the televised portion of SmackDown. Instead, he was saved until after 205 Live for the dark segment, um, interrupting and attacking and beating the B team in, a, in an impromptu two-on-one handicap match. And that was it. So MSG did get the Fiend, but um, just not on Raw. So, And not on SmackDown either, just not interrupting The Undertaker, which was kind of disappointing, but whatever. Um, I know they brought in The Undertaker for ticket sales and stuff like that. You might hear from Meltzer or other people saying, oh, no, that's not the reason they brought him in. It was always planned, blah, blah, blah. Bullshit. Bullshit. They wanted to increase ticket sales. They weren't doing too well when they, um, you know, they first went on sale two months ago, so they brought in the Phenom as an extra, you know, attraction, as an additional draw for the show. And that's all well and dandy, but if these appearances won't serve any purpose, then who gives a shit? At least the Stone Cold stuff on Raw, I mean, yeah, it was all about Stone Cold, but A, it was awesome. And no one has that type of energy that Stone Cold bring that Stone Cold brings to an arena. Uh, Taker is obviously very much still respected and over and popular, but he just does the same shit every fucking time that he's there. That Dead Man character is so limiting. It's so limited in terms of what he could do, aside from just interrupting someone or laying someone out with a choke slam. That's about it, you know. Um, what we saw on Tuesday was nothing out of the ordinary. It wasn't exciting. It was just kind of there. It was what it needed to be. But it wasn't, you know, it's not like he was used to elevate someone else, which is exactly the role that he should have at this point, at this stage of his career. He's not really doing much else. And uh, we did not get that. Stone Cold, at least on Raw this week, elevated, you know, by association, Rollins, Strowman, absolutely Cedric Alexander. And it just led to a really great opening and a really great ending to the show on Monday night. Um... Uh, as a, you know, with, with SmackDown, Taker didn't really do much at all. It was kind of a disappointing use of the dead man. But again, that's really no surprise considering how he's been used for the last, what, decade now? He's been making appearances, wrestling one-off matches that aren't very good. This is nothing out of the ordinary for The Undertaker. But honestly, I'd rather just he said at home. Honestly, this was really just a wasting of an appearance for The Undertaker. I'd rather he just not be on the show than waste television time with shit like this. And I'm sure the crowd got a kick out of it. They always love seeing The Undertaker in person. His entrance is awesome, blah, blah, blah. I just don't care anymore. Like, if it's the night after WrestleMania as a quick one-off, cool. But if you're going to advertise him and get people's hopes up for shit like this, and then he just doesn't do anything of note, doesn't factor into a storyline, he's not coming back for a match with Sammy, and even if he did, who cares? Who gives a shit? Didn't elevate Sammy. It's not like Sammy got the big rub from being attacked by The Undertaker. Bullshit. Did Elias get a rub from being attacked by The Undertaker a few months ago? No. Did McIntyre get a rub from, you know, being beaten by The Undertaker back at Extreme Rules in that tag team match? No. I mean, there, I, I can't think of anyone who has actually benefited from either feuding or being attacked by The Undertaker in the last 10 years. Bray Wyatt definitely didn't back in 2015. That was a waste of a feud. Shane McMahon didn't really need to benefit because he's fucking Shane McMahon back in 2016. Cena didn't benefit. 
Roman Reigns is the only one to really beat The Undertaker in the last 10 years at WrestleMania 33. And even that was wasted because he went back. He lost to Braun Strowman the very next month clean. So again, how much good did that do for Roman Reigns? Not much at all. Anyway, also on this show, we have The Miz versus Andrade. Good match. The Miz won. I feel bad for Andrade. He came close to advancing to the semifinals last week on the show before losing to Chad Gable. And then he's losing a throwaway match to The Miz. Now, again, it was a good match. He looked good in defeat. But at the same time, though, um, The Miz is going on a challenge for the Intercontinental Championship at Clash of Champions, not Andrade. So the outcome made sense. But I really wish they would start doing something of note with Andrade. He loses far more than he wins. And that's got to change really, really soon. Maybe they move into Raw. Maybe they move into Raw in this upcoming draft. And they move in uh, Zelina and Aleister Black, who is not doing anything right now on the show. Um, yeah, I don't think he's right. I mean, he, he had a match with Shelton Benjamin maybe a week ago or two weeks ago on the show. I think it was last week, which was cool. But, like, he needs to be on TV more consistently than he is. It's kind of disappointing his usage as well. Um, anyway, also on SmackDown, we have Nikki Cross beating Mandy Rose after Mandy Rose... She uh, uh, made fun of Nikki Cross's looks, called her ugly. She comes out like a house on fire, Nikki Cross does. Beats her in a few minutes. The match was fine. Um, their desperate attempt to get heat on Mandy Rose didn't really work. I mean, I'm glad we know who the heel is here because uh, we had two heel tag teams in Nikki Cross and Alexa and then Fire and Desire and Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. We had two heel tag teams feuding with each other and we had no idea who the babyface was supposed to be. Who were we, who were we supposed to cheer for? Well, now we know it's Alexa Bliss and Nikki are supposedly the fan favorites in this match at Clash of Champions, but that doesn't really mean I care. Heavy Machinery returned to action on Tuesday, beating two local losers called uh, or named Johnny Silver and Alex Keaton. Fine showing. Glad to see Heavy Machinery back on SmackDown. Not sure where this is leading, though I would love to see them back in the SmackDown tag team title picture before long. Roman Reigns and Eric Rowan did brawl. We heard from Rowan briefly in the mic. It was a fine promo. The brawl I thought was well done. I just could not care less about this feud. Rowan being in a feud with Roman Reigns does nothing for me because the guy's not a threat. You can have him beat up on Roman. You can have him beat up on, you know, really anyone else. Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan, it doesn't matter. I still do not care about Roman Reigns versus Eric Rowan. I just don't give a shit. Bailey beat Ember Moon in a rematch from SmackDown, or rather on SmackDown in a rematch from SummerSlam a few weeks ago. Good match. But this Bailey heel turn has been so fucking confusing. What the fuck is going on with Bailey right now? Is she a babyface? Is she a heel? What's going on? I know Alexis was getting frustrated that they have yet to debut new music for her. And I understand that that's not the... I, I, I get that just because turning Bailey heel was likely something they were not planning in advance. Maybe they were. Maybe I'm wrong. But a lot of the stuff they do, it seems like, they kind of decide on, on, you know, off, you know like on, on the night of is what I'm trying to say. It's like a very quick decision. It's not something they, oh, let's do this week on Raw. Let's do that, you know, next week on Raw, whatever. It was probably something decided on at the last minute on that episode of Raw last week. So I get it if they don't have music ready to go for Bailey as a heel. But she's coming across like a complete babyface. Now, if she's supposed to be delusional and she's like, oh, I'm in the right. Why wouldn't I be? Blah, blah, blah. That makes sense. But she's coming out doing the whole fucking you know, uh, you know, wacky, waveable, inflatable, and inflatable two men, all that other stuff, and blah, 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 and um, it, it's just confusing. Am I supposed to cheer for? Is she a heel? What the hell's going on? It's not like she's cheating in her matches. She's just heel by association, by aligning with Sasha Banks, her longtime friend. 
But beyond that, there is nothing heelish about Bailey. And maybe that changes on Sunday at Clash of Champions. I sure hope it does. Because so far, this heel turn has been a bust. Can I even really call it a bust when it's really only been going on for a week? Probably not. That's jumping the shark. I get that. But they're really confusing us as to what we're... It's going to get to a point where people aren't going to want to boo Bailey, but they're not going to cheer her either. They're just not going to care. They're going to feel empathetic towards the entire situation because they don't know what the fuck is going on with Bailey. So they got to figure out what's going on with Bailey. Is she a heel? Is she a face? What's the deal? Figure it out and then start booking her accordingly. Because so far, this has been a complete and total mess. Kofi Kingston and Randy Orton revisited the rivalry in Madison Square Garden, 10 years removed from when Kofi did the boom drop to Orton through a table um, in that very same arena. They reenacted the spot on Tuesday in a great brawl. The back and forth and the mic was well done. The brawl, I thought, was really good. Um, did make me more excited for the match on Sunday. Made me, you know, left me thinking that Orton could win the belt at the pay-per-view. I guess we'll find out on Sunday, and I'll talk more about that in my predictions coming up soon. Um, but I thought it was a great segment. Kofi getting the better of Orton was surprising. I thought, you know, when Kofi went for the boom drop again in MSG on Tuesday, I thought Orton would reverse it and win an RKO of his own to kind of, you know, have the moment go full circle uh, after, 10, after what happened 10 years ago. But no, Kofi connected with the boom drop through the table to Orton, and he's riding high going into Clash of Champions on Sunday. Um, then in the main event, it was supposed to be Chad Gable and Elias in the semifinals of the King of the Ring tournament. But because of an, uh, an injury, an injury to Elias, which I feel like is planned. I don't think that was a shoot injury. Maybe I'm wrong, but he was on the show last week. Everything seemed fine. Uh, I'm not really sure what went, what went wrong. We were told on Tuesday that he had an ankle injury by Shane. But I feel like this was always in the cards because Elias being in the semifinals did nothing for anyone. It was a really baffling decision. But I thought it worked, honestly. I thought Shane replacing Elias was a good tactic. I thought it was really well done because that was exactly how Shane won the best in the world tournament, the WWE World Cup, about a year ago at Crown Jewel. Um, He entered himself after Miz got hurt, quote-unquote, and then he won the whole thing. Uh, And then he went heel a few months later, so it made sense. But I thought playing off that doubt was great because he has a lot of heat right now. I, I maintain that like Kevin Owens beating Shane doesn't really do much for him. But for a guy like Gable to beat a guy with as much heat as Shane has right now, um, you know, a guy like Gable who really isn't doing a whole lot outside of the King of the Ring, I thought was great for him. I thought this was a great momentum-building victory for Chad Gable. And it was a great performance from him. The match was whatever. Um, but the crowd went nuts when he beat Shane the first time. Kevin Owens served as the special guest referee. Obviously, he counted a little quickly. Then in the second fall, it turned into a two-out-of-three falls match. Thing, you know, at Shane's discretion. And then he forced uh, Gable, or rather, Gable forced Shane to tap out in an ankle lock. And then, you know, Gable's advanced to the finals of the King of the Ring, which will take place Monday on Raw. And then, uh, yeah, so the whole story here is that Kevin Owens, he may have counted quickly against Shane initially, but, you know, Shane tapped out on his own. So that was not Kevin Owens' doing. He could not ring for the bell, could not call for the bell. Um, so that's what happened there. And then Kevin Owens was attacked by Shane afterward anyway, with Shane McMahon firing Kevin Owens, something we've seen a million times over. And it really wasn't anything too exciting because we've seen it happen before. It was, eh, it was like, whatever, because we know Kevin Owens will be brought back. He obviously signed a multi-year deal legitimately in real life with WWE a few years ago, about a year or so ago, maybe even earlier this year. So we know he will be back. Um, He did tease going to NXT, which was really interesting, on Twitter on Tuesday night, 
tweeting out the numbers that the letters NXTR in the alphabet, I forgot what they were, but um, it would be awesome, like I said on hashtag AskGSM on Wednesday, to see um, Kevin Owens pop up on that debut episode of NXT on USA next Wednesday. It'd be a great moment. Uh, the crowd would go nuts. And it would be a good way of furthering this storyline with Kevin Owens, where he will end up next, where is he going, blah, blah, blah. Um, what's going on with Kevin Owens? So I'm liking where this story is going in terms of where Kevin Owens will end up, but I really just wanted the Shane, I really want to see the Shane Owens bullshit end as soon as possible so we can move on with this. And Kevin Owens can move on to something bigger and better than Shane McMahon because this is really overstated its welcome by, you know, by a lot to say the least. Um, as for Gable and Corbin, I will predict it right now because the finals are set to take place this Monday on Raw and not at the pay-per-view, which makes sense because they already have a ton of pay-per-views on top for Clash of Champions. So one less match makes sense, especially if it's not a title match. But I do have Gable going over. I saw a lot of people saying Baron Corbin will take home the crown, and I'm not doubting that. I, I think that's a very real possibility. But I think Gable beating a guy like Corbin, who has a lot of heat right now, people really don't want to see Corbin win. I don't want to see Corbin win, and I'm a Corbin fan. I think would do a lot to help out Gable. Like, it helped out, you know, it helped Gable to beat Shane McMahon on Tuesday. Um, he got a big win. or got a big reaction out of it for beating Shane. And now, you know, he's going to go on to face Baron Corbin, another guy who has a lot of heat right now. He can benefit big time from beating Baron Corbin in the finals of this tournament. The same guy who retired Kurt Angle. The same guy who won the United States Championship. Reigned as the Raw General Manager. Uh, won the Money in the Bank a few years ago. So it would be cool to see uh, Gable go all the way and win this thing, I'm not getting my hopes up because there is a very real possibility, like I said, that we get King Corbin after Monday's Raw. Um, but I hope Gable wins, and that's a launching pad for success for his career because the guy is amazing. And to waste him any longer would be a mistake because the guy is really, really, really good. The guy is tremendous. So hopefully this is uh, what Gable needs to get to that next level in WWE, at least at a mid-card level because before recently he was never even on TV. Um, hopefully this takes him to where he needs to be in WWE. But yeah, that was SmackDown Live on Tuesday. Good show overall. Not as good as Raw, and I'm being biased because I was there at Raw on Monday Live. But I thought SmackDown was all right. Didn't really do much to move the needle for me in terms of getting me more excited for Clash of Champions than I already was. I thought Raw did a better job of that. But overall, a fine show. With the Orton and Kingston brawl probably being the highlight of the night, the Gable-McMahon match was whatever, but Gable winning was huge. The fact that we had Cedric Alexander and Shad Gable winning back-to-back -back nights in Madison Square Garden and Raw and SmackDown, respectively, in the main event is really a sign of how far WWE has come to in a certain extent. People can shit on WWE all day for this and that, not giving these guys opportunities, blah, blah, blah. But when it really matters most, usually they do the right thing, and I thought that was really cool to see and really worth noting as well. But anyway, real quick, before we get to the Clash of Champions predictions for Sunday, Kushida made his NXT, or rather from NXT. He made his 205 Live debut after SmackDown on Tuesday. He was the mystery partner of Gentleman Jack Gallagher teaming up against the Brian Kendrick and Akira Tozawa. Uh, good match. Great to see Kushida uh, make his debut in MSG on 205 Live. The crowd was really receptive towards the NXT star. I'm a big Kushida fan, but I don't think this is a full-time move for him to 205 Live. We've seen Isaiah Scott, um, Shane Strickland on 205 Live before. Not a full-time call-up. We've seen, um, what was his name, Angel Garza, who was in NXT as well as part of the breakout tournament. He was on 205 Live a few weeks ago, not a full-time move. You know, even Roderick Strong was on 205 Live for a cup of coffee in early 2018, was not a full-time move. So 
Um, I have no issue with uh, Kushida appearing on 205 Live. Anyone saying, oh, it's the death of his career, blah, 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 a lot like Hideo Itami. Listen, Hideo Itami, that ship had sailed years earlier. The guy had been hurt far too many times for far too long. Um, if he was going to be successful, it probably would have been before he got hurt. And uh, he just was not the same when he arrived in 205 Live. There was excitement there initially, but it was... He, there really was not much for him to do in NXT. Kushida there is. He has yet to get a TakeOver match. So hopefully at some point he does appear on a TakeOver. Um, and I don't think he's done in NXT. They have a really big roster and they need all the people they can get right now now that NXT is moving to two hours. So I don't think he's moving to 205 Live just yet. But if he appears on occasion, I see nothing wrong with that. So anyone saying, oh, all the doom and gloom of Kushida on 205 Live, he's, his career is doomed. Shut the fuck up and just let it breathe. Let it happen. If he fails on 205 Live, it's a dead end for his career, then we can complain. Then we can jump to conclusions and whine about it. But Buddy Murphy, Ali, Cedric Alexander all came from 205 Live and are doing pretty damn well for themselves right now on their respective shows. So let's stop fucking bearing 205 Live. It was a great show this week. It usually is a really entertaining program. So let's not poop on 205 Live and the fact that we could be seeing um, Kushida moving there at some point in the near future. Chad Gable was there, you know, for two one-off matches, or two-off, I guess you could say, against um, Jack Gallagher for two great matches. That wasn't a full-time move either. So let's stop jumping to conclusions. Let's stop jumping to conclusions and just enjoy it for what it is. But anyway, Clash of Champions on Sunday. Here's the full rundown of the card and my predictions for each outing. Uh, real quick, just because I think this is ending up on the kickoff show, for the Cruiserweight Championship triple threat match, Drew Gulak versus Humberto Carrillo versus Lindsay Dorado. Dorado earned the shot after beating Carrillo on 205 Live in one-on-one action last week on the show. Uh, this should be a really good match. I think Carrillo and Gulak is the direction they're ultimately heading in, and Dorado is only added so Gulak can pin someone other than Carrillo to retain his title, which I think is smart. And Gulak has success in triple threat matches. He beat... Um, you know, Tony Nese and Akira Tozawa in that three-way match back at Stomping Grounds to become the Cruiserweight Champion. So this is nothing new for him. But I think it should be a really fun match. These guys should work very well together. But I do think Gulak is retaining the championship as he should have to keep Carrillo in the in chase mode. And uh, hopefully we see Carrillo and Gulak clash one-on-one for the championship before long, maybe at the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. For the Intercontinental Championship, The Miz versus current champion Shinsuke Nakamura. Should be a good match. I don't think we've ever seen Nakamura and Miz one-on-one in WWE before. They haven't done a ton to get people excited for this match, just because that belt means nothing right now. Um, But I do expect Zayn to factor into the finish somehow to allow Nakamura to retain the title. I honestly could see a scenario where Miz becomes the champion just for WWE to spite Chris Jericho who is now an AEW, and he's a nine-time champion, you gotta figure that Miz is snapping his record at some point. So I imagine Miz will beat that record eventually. I just don't think it happens so soon. So I could see Miz winning on Sunday for him to tie Jericho's record before ultimately beating it. But I don't think, while I don't think that's a terrible idea, I just don't think you need to cut short Nakamura's reign at this point. He just joined up with Sammy. To cut the reign short on Sunday, I think would be a mistake even though it would be a good win for The Miz. But I do think Nakamura will win, though. Uh, For the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross versus challengers Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. Um, I mean, Bliss and Cross have already knocked off everyone in the division, including Rose and Deville before. They've already beaten the Kabuki Warriors, the Iconics. 
I guess it would make sense for them to lose the championships here, but the titles mean nothing. They just won them a month ago. I would give them a little longer of a reign before having them drop it. So I'm going to say Bliss and Nikki Cross, but just because, you know, they've already beaten every other team, and Nikki Cross beat Mandy Rose on Tuesday, which is usually booking 101 for the challengers winning on the, you know, the pay-per-view. I could see Rose and DeVille winning. I just think it's too soon. So I'm going to say Blo- uh, Bloss. Because uh, of Bliss and Nikki Cross, that's an ugly tag team name. Um, Bliss and Cross retaining their championships at Clash of Champions. If I had to put another match in the kickoff show, this would be it because I just don't really care about it or the titles. Roman Reigns versus Eric Rowan, the sole non-championship match on this show. Roman Reigns has got to win. I know it's no disqualification. Maybe they can have Daniel Bryan interfere and help Rowan win. But it's fucking Eric Rowan, people. Roman Reigns has to win, and I think he will. Um, for the United States Championship, AJ Styles versus Cedric Alexander, the latest addition to the card after Monday's Raw, after Alexander beat AJ at the paper, or, uh, in the main event of Raw on Monday night. This pay-per-view is emanating from Alexander's hometown of Charlotte, North Carolina. So coming off the momentum that he got on Raw this week, I think it would be awesome if he beat AJ for that title. I mean, AJ still has plenty of opponents to run through. Um, they can always rekindle the rivalry, uh, rivalry with Ricochet at some point if they want to. They could have him face Rey Mysterio, and I would believe to be a dream match. That's what I would consider to be a dream match. They could do that at some point. Um, there's a lot of different opponents for AJ before he drops that championship eventually. But I think it'd be a great win for Alexander to beat AJ in his hometown. The crowd would go nuts. Should be a great match. Um, selfishly, I want Alexander to win the title. I just don't see it happening. So I think AJ will retain here after he lost, technically twice on Monday's Raw. For these SmackDown Tag Team titles, the New Day versus the Revival, the New Day should win just because they are a SmackDown Tag Team, the Revival are not. So to give the tag titles to a Raw tandem doesn't really make much sense. They could always move them to SmackDown if they win, I just don't see it happening. So I think the New Day retain here. For these SmackDown Women's Championship, Bayley versus uh, Charlotte Flair should be a great match. Bayley just went heel. You know, they had her win on Tuesday, but they did have her pinned on Monday's Raw, which that was a mistake. Um, she should win here, maybe by cheating, finally cementing herself as a heel in the, in the process. So hopefully she cheats to win and retains her championship. For the Raw Women's Championship, Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks. Uh, Sasha is doing really well for herself right now, and I don't want to see her get pinned so soon. So I have my issues with her getting pushed out of the gate after sitting on the sidelines for so long, but she's the hot hand right now. I would strike while the iron is hot and give her the Raw Women's Championship. you got to know it's only a matter of time before she wins it anyway, so she might as well just win it here. Um, so I'm going to say Sasha Banks, new Raw Women's Champion. For the Raw Tag Team titles, we have Seth Rollins and Braun Strowman versus Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler. How much longer can Rollins and Strowman hold on to the gold? It's kind of a dumb thing they have the championships to begin with, um, but it should be a good match. I think Robert Roode and Ziggler should win, new Raw Tag Team Champions after some miscommunication between Rollins and Strowman. Before we get to their match in the main event, I'm going to predict uh, Randy Orton winning the WWE Championship from Kofi Kingston. Now, initially, I said Kofi will retain. But with Hell in the Cell next month, I just think there's a better chance of Randy Orton taking the title here on Sunday and then Kofi being in chase mode for a bit before getting the belt back from Orton at Hell in the Cell, uh, which I think is ultimately what they should do. Just because Orton losing here and then losing again at Hell in a Cell just doesn't make much sense. I don't think they should end the feud on this pay-per-view. It should extend into Hell in a Cell. It just makes sense with the feud they've been having in the last 
couple months, 10 years, whatever. It just makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, after Kofi was the last man standing on um, SmackDown, it just makes more sense to have him lose here. Orton gets a brief reign of the title for the 15th time, I want to say. And then Kofi wins the belt back to complete the story and prove that he is superior to Orton at Hell in a Cell. And then finally, in the main event of Clash of Champions, Seth Rollins, Braun Strowman colliding one-on-one for that Universal Championship. We already know it will likely be Bray Wyatt, the Fiend, challenging the winner of this match to that title, for that title, at Hell in a Cell next month. And Rollins just makes more sense. He just got the belt back at SummerSlam. Strowman does nothing for me as champion. I gotta say Rollins walks out, still the Universal Champion. There's a decent chance we get an odd finish after Bray Wyatt interferes and, um, you know, sets up a three-way for Hell in the Cell or just protects Rollins and Strowman in defeat. But that's such a bullshit finish. I really hope they don't do that. We've seen that before. It's really lame. So I hope Rollins wins clean and then gets maybe attacked by The Fiend afterwards to set the stage for the Hell in the Cell main event of Rollins and The Fiend for the Universal Championship. And that does it for my predictions for a Clash of Champions this Sunday. Very excited for the pay-per-view. As I said at the start of the show, we'll not be watching live, so do not tweet me. Do not text me any spoilers. I am staying off social media. I will play my part and tune into the pay-per-view probably Monday afternoon with Alexis when she's out of class. So I have that to look forward to on Monday before Raw. With all that being said, guys, thank you for tuning in to today's episode of WrestleRant Radio. Very much appreciate your support of the show. We'll be back next Thursday with my full review of Clash of Champions and all the latest in the world of wrestling, in the world of WWE and beyond. Uh, you can check out new episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single Thursday, not only on NextDayWrestling.net, but also on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio. We're on Google Play, all over the place, baby. So tune in now, subscribe to the show, rate it, review it. All that stuff is amazingly appreciated. All the archived episodes are also up there, uh, are up there as well. So check those out. Dating back to the show's debut in October of 2013. As for me, folks, you can find me on the socials on Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews and on YouTube as well, YouTube.com backslash C backslash Matthews. Until next week, guys, I'm Graham GSM Matthews. Have an awesome rest of your week, and I'll catch your ass down the road.